Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Well, hello. Hi. Oh. It's very sultry. Thank you. <laughs> I was working on it. Practicing that all day? Yeah. All right. Was yeah. that like an ode to the movie or? I just, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd switch things up a bit. Okay. I mean, I didn't hate it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the movie, shall we? I suppose. All right. Well, first, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we wanted to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, oh yeah, the theater moves around a lot. It's never in the same place twice and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are kind of in an off week. You know, we try and do a new series every month, and we finish one up, and then had this little hiccup with the Winnebago. So we had this week kind of hanging out, and we kind of had to pick a movie. Yeah, and that's why we decided to go with uh, Jennifer's Body. Uh, it was kind of my choosing, kind of your choosing. I kind of gave you a topic and told you to choose a title um, out of a list that I had given you. And I wanted to kind of round out the month of June um, with a queer horror, if, if we could, uh, just to kind of cap off Pride Month. And so, yeah, we had quite a few titles to choose from. And I think this one came up on the list and I was excited about it because I hadn't seen it before. And you said you had, but you didn't remember it a whole lot. So I was excited to get into it just because it's one that I know so many people talk about. It's such a, I think it's one of those that did not do well initially, but for whatever reason, it has this like up and coming and or I guess I should say re-up and coming and has found its kind of crowd within the queer community and they're they're all about it. And so I was excited to watch it. Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, I had seen it before, but it, it somehow became kind of not very memorable. I, I could remember a couple of scenes, but overall I just didn't remember a whole lot about the movie. So it kind of was like watching it again from the beginning and it gave me an opportunity to see it with fresh eyes. And and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I really am too. And of course, before we get into it, now is the time that I should warn you that we are about to spoil everything. So if you, like me, haven't seen the movie and you want to check it out before we get into it, uh, we actually ended up finding it on Hulu right now. We also saw that it was on Prime. So there's ways to watch it right now if you want to. But if you don't, and you just want to listen to us chat about it and spoil everything, that's fine too. Of course, we're not going to judge you for that at all. Either way, stick around, and there's going to be spoilers. We can't help it. It is what it is. We like spoiling things. All right. Well, let's get to the wiki. 
Jennifer's Body is a 2009 American comedy horror film written by Diablo Cody and directed by Karen Kusama. The film stars Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Johnny Simmons, and Adam Brody. The film premiered at the 2009 Toronto International Film Festival and was released in the United States and Canada on September 18, 2009. The title is a reference to the song of the same name by alternative rock band Hole from their album Live Through This. Jennifer's Body is the follow-up to writer and producer Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman's collaboration efforts on Juno. Cody stated that when writing the script, she was, quote, simultaneously trying to pay tribute to some of the conventions that we've already seen in horror, yet at the same time kind of turn them on their ear, end quote. Cody's goal was making a film that spoke to female empowerment and explored the complex relationships between best friends. Quote, we wanted to subvert the classic horror model of women being terrorized and bring to the screen a new way of expressing the intensity of female bonds, end quote. Both Cody and director Karen Kusama set out to show how those adolescent female friendships girls experience in their youth are unparalleled in their intensity and almost horrific in their devotion. Addressing her decision to have Jennifer and Needy be romantically intimate at one point during the film, Cody stated, quote, Obviously, we knew people were going to totally sensationalize it. They're beautiful girls. The scene is hot. I'm not afraid to say that. There's a sexual energy between the girls, which is kind of authentic because I know when I was a teenage girl, the friendships that I had with other girls were almost romantic. They were so intense. I wanted to sleep at my friend's house every night. I wanted to wear her clothes. We would talk on the phone until our ears ached. I wanted to capture that heightened feeling you get as an adolescent that you don't really feel with your friends as a grown-up, end quote. Since part of the story deals with a struggling indie band looking for their big break, music played an essential part in the film. With songs from Eddie Money, Foreigner, Snoop Dogg, Dashboard Confessional, Florence and the Machine, Panic at the Disco, Hole, and the Silver Sun Pickups, just to name a few, this movie comes with a stellar soundtrack that will satisfy any late 2000s alt-rock fans. In fact, Chud.com reported that the filmmakers considered actual band members Pete Wentz of Fallout Boy and Joel Madden of Good Charlotte to portray Nikolai Wolf, the lead singer of the movie's fictional band, Low Shoulder. The role, of course, ended up going to Adam Brody, who did not use his own vocals, adding, quote, They gave me a singing lesson or two. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not anything anyone would choose to hear, end quote. <laughs> his vocals were provided by Ryan Levine, who also played another member of the band. The film had a lackluster performance at the North American box office, barely making back its $16 million budget, and received mixed reviews from the critics. Negative reviews criticized the narrative and specifically the horror-slash-comic premise for, quote, failing to be either funny or scary enough to satisfy, end quote, while positive reviews praised the film for its dialogue, emotional resonance, and the performances of Fox, Seafred, and the supporting cast. However, since its release, the film has gone through a sort of retrospective 
and gained a cult following as a strong feminist and queer horror film. That was a lot, but I have a lot of comments. I have to, of course, completely and utterly agree that the soundtrack is amazing. This movie's soundtrack just... I, I, I love that in itself, all by itself. It's so good. I definitely think this it's really interesting, like I kind of mentioned off the top, this movie, you know, not doing so well, and then now kind of having that, I don't even know if it's being watched with fresh eyes or people are re-watching it, because I've, I've heard it from both sides of this, you know, spectrum where people like me haven't seen it before and are now watching it and are able to appreciate it for another reason or able to appreciate it for one reason or another, um, or those that are rewatching it and able to say, you know, yeah, these parts didn't age well, but these parts, now that I rewatch it, I really understand like how those were really important for me mm-hmm. back then or whatever. So I, I, I just really think it's interesting. You don't, I don't feel like you see that a lot with movies to have that big, I mean, over a 10 year gap between when it first came out to now, uh, to take that long for you know the cult pickup to really happen you know what I mean yeah there's a a lot of movies you know that you hear about that when they originally came out you know people hated it and then years years later it comes out on video and and I think people are exposed to it that maybe didn't see it Mm -hmm. you know I just I kind of have this recollection of when it came out kind of it being this I don't know if joke is the right word but it's kind of like do you know what I mean yeah. how it was just kind of like ugh, nobody's gonna see Jennifer's body like it was just people just kind of made fun of it yeah it was like I feel like especially now after having seen it and I think for me it did it justice not seeing it back when it first came out to me watching it now uh just because I feel like I'm able to appreciate what it was trying to do what it did um and what it didn't do better than I would have back then but I definitely think what what failed for this movie um initially was the marketing the marketing completely I feel like did this movie dirty by completely just putting the makeout scenes and the scenes of like Megan Fox walking through the hallway um the whole trailer that's it that's the whole trailer was just talking about this kiss between these girls and you know this it was just very uh eroticized they they definitely missed the mark yeah when it came to marketing this movie uh i even remember seeing in my research reading something about i i think cody had had to get involved because the marketing team was trying to do this thing where they wanted Megan Fox to actually yes. live stream with like uh, on a porn site or something like that. Yeah. How I heard it was that they wanted her like those like porn call in lines. Mm-hmm. They wanted her like on the line, you know, promoting that way, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It just it. I mean, yes, that's a big part of this movie. But at the same time, I feel like it did it dirty because as for me, like, now in 2021 going into this movie even still I was under the impression that it was just basically going to be this movie of stereotypical teenage girl romances and relationships and it's all kind of catered towards like what a teenage boy would think that is exactly I was gonna say like it's geared toward a 12 year old boy yeah yeah and it's not there's more to it there's a there's a 
deeper story, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. um, involved. And, and it's really, I mean, yes, it's called Jennifer's body and Jennifer is, uh, Jennifer's body, I guess I should say is ultimately what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she, needy or Amanda Seyfried is, is just as much as, as a main star as Megan Fox, but we didn't see her nearly as much in the marketing. She's not even on the poster for mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, her name is, but yeah, her yeah. image is, yeah. Which it, is, oh, sorry, but I was just going to say, which is, which is just bizarre because after watching the movie, you, you realize how important she is to this movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, she has way more screen time than Megan Fox does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think another thing that worked against this movie was the title alone, Jennifer's Body, mm-hmm. because it does, on the surface, it sounds very sexualized. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people are just going to judge it by that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, I call it the Buffy the Vampire Slayer syndrome. You know, no one wanted to take that show seriously because of the stupid title. Mm-hmm. It's a silly name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I think that is is in effect here. You yeah. know, you think, what? I'm not going to watch that. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it was right at that time when really, uh, I think, Megan Fox had become this kind of uh, fodder for media as far as to constantly kind of pick at her as far as being like a bimbo or being you know just just a pretty girl and not a good actor or anything like that and so this movie I feel like came at a time when I mean if you think about it she was basically a really good actress because she was being exactly what Hollywood had portrayed her out to be thus far which is just this bimbo with a body Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so being the actor that she was, she was able to portray this and do it well, I think, in this movie. And so coming at that time when she was being so, I guess, kind of mocked in the media and stuff like that, I just don't think that, yeah, like you said, coming alongside that title that's very um, sort of risque, I guess, mm-hmm. it just didn't do the the movie justice. And I feel like a lot of people just turned away so quickly because of like like we are saying the marketing and the title uh and it just didn't because there's more to the story I feel like just didn't do it justice yeah absolutely well you know unfortunately I I think a lot of people missed out on a really good movie but yet I think we are all in a better place to see and and appreciate this movie better today Mm -hmm. uh than I think we were in 2009. So I I think this, you know, resurgence that it's kind of getting this new popularity it's it's gaining, I I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Uh, But I'm excited to break it down and talk about it. So why don't you give them a synopsis? All right. Well, it reads, when a demon takes possession of her, high school hottie Jennifer turns a hungry eye on guys who never stood a chance with her before. While evil Jennifer satisfies her appetite for human flesh with the school's male population, her nerdy friend Needy learns what's happening and vows to put an end to the carnage. Well, all right, here we go. So, movie starting out, we start with an opening shot of a tire swing, and we're pushing into someone's house, someone with a horse in their backyard, uh, and bad teeth. Uh, this is Jennifer. She's played by Megan Fox, of course, and she looks like shit. 
uh, uh, she's picking at sores on mm-hmm, her skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks pale and clammy, and she's lying in bed watching an old Tony Little gazelle workout machine infomercial for those of you who had insomnia in the late 2000s <laughs> and oh shit there's a chick outside at her window yeah terrifying uh, hate uh, it <laughs> don't like it uh but when jennifer turns to look out the window there's no one there but it was a nice little jump scare to start us off yeah this is a uh, classic 101 uh forewarning as to why we should all keep our blinds closed at night <laughs> absolutely yeah, it, it was uh, startling Yeah, to, to see someone just standing there. Especially to see Amanda Seyfried sitting there. <laughs> I think that's, I kept thinking that the whole time throughout this movie, I was like, this is just so bizarre to see her. In the, and I think it's because, especially at this time, she had just come off of Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I kept putting her kind of in that role the whole time I was watching this movie, just because that's what I imagined her from at this time period. And... It was just so, even just seeing her cuss and stuff like that, some of it, it was just so bizarre because I had never seen her in that role before. I mean, she did it well. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was, it was very bizarre. So yeah, yeah, opening scene of her like being a creeper in the window, I was like, okay, there's so much wrong with this. I don't like it. Well, switching back over to Megan Fox real quick. She lost an additional 15 pounds, dropping her to 95 pounds and avoided spending any length of time in the sunlight just to give her a paler appearance. 95 pounds. Good grief. Yeah, I I, I uh, had wondered about that because there's a scene later on in the movie where we get like a... Uh silhouette of like mm-hmm. her shadow mm-hmm. and it is very thin very tiny and i remember thinking that uh last night when we were watching it uh was like man did they they photoshop her like that because girls already like tiny like they mm-hmm. don't gotta do her like that but that was her naturally and so yeah that makes sense that they i mean to kind of create that kind of sallow effect mm-hmm would want that like especially in her face and stuff but yeah her stomach and everything just looks so tiny i mean she beautiful but yeah definitely you could tell that she's just very thin in mm-hmm. this movie well next we get a voiceover monologue i never realized there were so many horror movies with monologuing in them yeah i it kind of makes me realize i think i need to start monologuing my life you really should It's fun. I think I'm going to. Good for you. It's good to have hobbies. I'm going to have another podcast (laughs) that's just me monologuing my life. Dude, people will tune in. I'll listen. (laughs) See if I can hear myself in the background. Uh, Well, our monologuer is telling us that hell is a teenage girl and truer words have never been spoken. It's an amazing opening line. It really is. I loved it. Well, we discover our monologuer is Anita Lesnicki, although everyone calls her Needy, so we will too. Uh, And she is played, of course, by Amanda Seyfried, and we see her in a mental institution surrounded with gobs of fan mail, and she is informed that rec time started five minutes ago. Uh, She continues to tell us how some of the fan mail is from people praying for her to change her ways, but most people that reach out seem to think she's the shit. She changes her clothes, and we can see she has many scars and cute bunny slippers. (laughs) She also sucks at tetherball, as we see her now out in the rec yard. (laughs) 
I remember that. She just walks over and just boom. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's that's not how that works. <laughs> you did it wrong, but that's okay. You you know what? That's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to bring it up. You may make your own rules. <laughs> you seem very strong. So. <laughs> well, now in the cafeteria, we learn she likes toastums because I guess they couldn't get the rights to say Pop-Tarts. And don't try and tell her it isn't enough to sustain her or she'll kick the shit out of you. Bitch does not want your nutritional advice. Oh my God. Keep it to yourself. I don't blame, don't, don't talk to me about it. If I want Pop-Tarts for breakfast or Toastums, I'm going to have it. Damn right. Uh, well, she does kick an orderly and that bitch goes flying across the table and half the cafeteria. What kind of steroids... <laughs> What was in those toastums <laughs> is the question I think we need to ask here. Can we start eating toastums? Because then I think that makes sense why she was kind of advising against the toastums because she knows there's something in there that makes her <laughs> extra strong. And she's like, listen, maybe we could do cereal tomorrow because <laughs> you get all kicky. You get a little kicky when you have the toastums, you know? <laughs> no toast, no kick. That's the motto around here with you. <laughs> Told you once, told you twice. Even uh, did a little needlepoint hung it up in your room. <laughs> Someday you're going to learn, Needy. Someday you will learn. Well, she gets thrown screaming into the hole for her efforts and is forced to listen to elevator music to soothe her savage beast. She tells us she hasn't always been this cracked, that she used to be normal. Well, of course, as normal as any girl under the influence of teenage hormones. And this throws us into a flashback to how this whole story got started. Cut to small town America. This one happens to be named Devil's Kettle after a nearby waterfall, which there really is a Devil's Kettle Falls uh, in Judge C.R. Magney State Park near Grand Maris, Minnesota, and it really does have this mysterious hole that the water drains into. And they can't say for certain where it ends up. They have a theory. They think they go that it's like emptying into this like underground spring that goes into a lake or something. But has nobody like jumped into it? Well, they there is a scene in the movie where they show like these scientists putting these balls uh -huh. into that little vortex thing the water vortex yeah and it's sucking them down and that's people have really done that scientists have done that and people have even put gps trackers and they're gonna say jeeps <laughs> people have jeeps. put their jeeps down there t-rexes and you know <laughs> i don't think it's a portal to another dimension although if there was a dead zone portal anywhere it's that's where it's gonna be oh for sure and i kind of would like I don't know, take a little, dip my toes in. Oh, no. <laughs> See what happens. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Why not? It's not a good idea. Well, but it just, I kind of really want to know where it goes. Well, next we are at a typical high school pep rally. Jennifer is a cheerleader and Needy is the bespeckled nerdy girl. But we learn they're best friends and have been since grade school. In fact, they're so close, a classmate tells Needy she's lesbian gay for Jennifer. Lesbian gay. Lesbian gay. 
Okay. But Needy denies it and says they're just best friends. Like sisters. Yeah. Gal pals. Didn't we just recently hear that? We did. In The Haunting? Yeah. The original one? Yeah. Like sisters. Like sisters. Well, they meet in the hall and talk about their plans that night. Jennifer wants to go to the local bar to see Low Shoulder play, an indie band from the city. She saw the lead singer's MySpace page and thinks he looks extra salty. You know, (laughs) this is going to be one of those movies that young people will watch 20 years from now and be like, did people really talk like that back then? And what is a MySpace really talk like that because i was thinking that the whole time because like i knew what a myspace was but there was i think there was even a couple times in my notes where i wrote down where i was like i've never heard anybody say this before and i don't like it i don't know why they're trying to make this a thing well i've heard of salty but that always means like like they did you dirty or something like that or like they're or mad no, yeah like you're upset yeah like i'm, I'm feeling used, salty yeah, yeah. Like i've heard it used both well, ways yeah, but like, not like you're ready to fuck shit up i'm feeling salty mm-hmm. you know but in this movie, they use it as like beautiful or like gorgeous. Or yes. Something like. And it's yeah, it's a very weird. There's there's quite a few phrases in this movie. It felt very. Um, I found myself again kind of making comparisons to Mean Girls, but also kind of making comparisons to Juno coming right off that Juno train. Well, were, I mean, it's the same author's voice. Yeah, I know. And I think that's why it, it, there was a lot of like. Uh, different like sayings and stuff that just didn't translate well in this movie yeah and that's and we don't need to start talking about juno but that is the problem i had with juno is i just i felt like it tried too hard but it like worked in juno because it was like quirky this wasn't meant to be quirky you know what i mean yeah and so i think that's where there was a lot of that that just kind of missed the mark for me was like those weird sayings that just didn't land because it was it just felt forced yeah yeah, yeah, it's trying too hard to be cool. Yeah. But it didn't happen too often. <laughs> no. And I'm not too salty about it. <laughs> My version. But you are salty, this movie's version. Aw. Aw. Well, when Needy tells Jennifer that she already promised her boyfriend Chip that they would hang out that night, Jennifer acts disappointed, which prompts Needy to change her mind and tell Jennifer she'll go. It's obvious Jen is the alpha here, and Needy will do anything to please her, even allowing Jennifer to dictate what Needy will wear that night. Later, Needy is at home getting ready, and we see Chip is hanging out in her room on her bed. She gives him a kiss. He immediately goes for his belt, but Needy can sense that Jennifer has arrived, and it creeps Chip out. And this is our first clue that Needy and Jennifer have a super deep connection Mm -hmm. it's it's almost supernatural uh but they also have those cool bff necklaces so yeah which means it's real it's the real thing (laughs) (laughs) well jennifer and needy greet each other by getting into a goofy pushing fight that gets a little too rough (laughs) but it is a hilarious scene because we've all had that friend (laughs) Someone like overly aggressive, right? Yeah. (laughs) It made us both laugh. Yeah. I think we both just went, yep. (laughs) We probably are that friend to someone. Yeah. A thousand percent. (laughs) 
Well, the girls arrive at the only shithole bar in town, and it's called Melody Lane. And in the blink-and-you-miss-it moment, the female bartender here is none other than Diablo Cody, the writer of this movie. Oh, wow. Well, apparently this joint is 18 to enter 21 to drink because you have a mix of high school kids and adults. The girls see Ahmed, a foreign exchange student from their school, and Jennifer wants to know if he's circumcised because she's always wanted to try sea cucumber. Lovely. I wouldn't have even brought it up, but this dude's going to pop up again later, and you got to know who the fuck I'm talking about. So, there you go. There you go. And holy shit, it's Andy Dwyer. (laughs) It's fucking Andy Dwyer. Yeah. It is my boy Chris Pratt. Yeah. And he plays cadet officer Roman Duda, who Jennifer happens to be sleeping with. But she treats him like shit, the same way she treats everyone else. But just getting to watch Chris Pratt being a small-time gomer, as Jennifer calls him, it's (laughs) just that brief moment, less than 60 seconds. It's comedy gold. Just his reactions to her just kind of blowing him off. It's good stuff. Yeah, I had no idea he was in this. I I didn't either. I mean, (laughs) he barely is. Yeah, very true. Well, the band has arrived. Jennifer is enamored, but Needy is just curious why a big city band would want to play in their little shit-tastic piece of the middle of nowhere. Nikolai, the band's lead singer, the one Jennifer thinks is salty, just says they do it to really connect with their fans. You can immediately tell this guy is smarmy, he's fake, he's yeah. just a jerk, uh, but Jennifer is just, you know, glossy-eyed staring at him. Yeah, she's in a full trance. <laughs> she really is. It's it's almost, you know, I couldn't remember the entire premise of the story when we started re- re-watching it, and I couldn't remember what it is that happens to her, so at first I started thinking, well, is he a werewolf? Is it, does <laughs> Is she under some kind of spell? But she, yeah, she is really, really gaga over him. And rightfully so. He's got a neck tattoo. <laughs> Which just makes him cool. <laughs> well, Jennifer goes to buy Nikolai a shot and Needy goes over to play pinball. Well, Needy overhears Nikolai speculating about whether or not she's a virgin. But she thinks they're talking about Jennifer. So, in order to defend her friend's honor, she storms back over to confront him and tells him that Jennifer is a virgin, even though we find out this isn't true when Jennifer remarks a bit later to Needy that she's not even a backdoor virgin anymore, thanks to Cadet Roman. But Nikolai believes Needy and believes he's found his virgin for whatever not good thing men would specifically seek that trade out yeah like there's no good scenario no in which a couple of guys sitting around trying to figure out which girl in the bar is a virgin yeah is a positive thing well the band starts playing and nikolai begins serenading jennifer the virgin not virgin and jennifer is loving every salty minute of it But Needy seems to be having a better time watching Jennifer have a good time. But soon Needy feels Jennifer is paying a little too much attention to Nikolai, and she lets go of her hand out of a bit of jealousy. And coincidentally, a fire breaks out in the bar. So is this just a coincidence, or was it started maybe by Needy? 
did did you get the impression it was just an accident or did you think maybe needy caused it i was under the impression that the band did it like intentionally for publicity yeah well i kind of thought that too but then what would be the point of doing what they did to jennifer later you know what i mean if they were going to get the publicity from that so i was i always kind of felt because they had this weird well, psychic I mean, they connection get, like, they wouldn't get good publicity for what they did to jennifer they did what they did to jennifer to sacrifice her to the devil in exchange for fame and fortune Oh, I get what you're saying. Like the the penance is what they would, yeah. Exactly. So if they were setting the fire intentionally and that was going to get them all this attention, which would bring them fame and fortune. Yeah, true, true. So I was always under the impression that because Needy and Jennifer seemed to have this weird psychic connection, Mm -hmm. you know, because throughout the whole thing, Needy seems to be able to sense what Jennifer is doing. Mm -hmm. So I thought that meant because needy is jealous in that moment yeah that maybe psychokinetically she started that fire yeah that's definitely a possibility well it is a tragic scene there are kids trampled and people are on fire but needy grabs jennifer and leads her out through a window in the bathroom outside jennifer is in shock and nikolai shows up drink in hand to immediately console them Uh, again he's he's just an ass you know he's like oh i've been looking everywhere for you guys mm-hmm. you know and he's just sitting there with a drink and he thinks they should head someplace safer like his van jennifer still in shock and consuming some of nick's drink seems to be still almost under this crazy spell mm-hmm. and follows nick to his van the van takes off with jennifer inside despite needy's disapproval and warnings to jennifer not to go I think a lot of women can identify with needy here. A lot of us have been in that situation where you're out with a friend and they decide to leave with someone else and you're just left kind of standing there like an idiot, you know, not knowing what to do. You know, how do I get home? Are Mm -hmm. they safe? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Yeah. And unfortunately, on the flip side, I think a lot of women have been in Jennifer's situation Mm -hmm. too, which is equally if not more terrifying yeah yeah for sure well needy knows something terrible is going to happen to jennifer but is powerless to do anything to help so she goes home and calls chip and tells him everything that happened she said jennifer took off in the band's creepy van with the windows blacked out and when chip asks if she got the make and model she replies i don't know chip an 89 rapist if that's not the perfect description of those creepy fucking vans yeah for real (laughs) i don't know what is while they're on the phone the doorbell rings chip stays on the line as needy goes to the door but when she opens it no one is there she goes back inside and is still talking to chip on the phone but if you look very closely and keep an eye on the shadows in the kitchen behind needy you can see part of the shadows start to move and cross the room. Mm-hmm. It was such a creepy scene. I, I made sure, because you didn't catch it, uh, because you were writing in your notes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, did you see that? And you're like, no, I missed it. What? <laughs> and so I rewound it and made sure that you saw it. Uh, it, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I really liked it. I love stuff like that, like little creepy stuff that happens in the background uh, of movies that 
you know, either you catch up the first time or it's a nice surprise during a rewatch, you know, I uh-huh. just, I love stuff like that. So yeah, I was super happy that you saw it in time enough for you to show me because it was, it was really good and creepy. I liked it. Well, Needy gets off the phone with Chip and starts to head back upstairs, but can hear movement in the kitchen. You know, the room we just saw a shadow move in. Well, after a tense scene of Needy checking out the downstairs, including checking the basement door, she makes her way into the kitchen only to discover a dripping faucet. Well, Needy goes over to turn it off, but when she turns around, surprise, Jennifer's back uh, and she's looked better. Yes, she has had a rough night. Uh, her clothes are torn and she's dripping with blood mm-hmm. uh, and when Needy asks her what happened she gets the creepiest bloodiest grin I've ever seen mm-hmm. it's like just a smidge too wide to look natural Yeah, like I don't think there's any effect here it just looks so off-putting to see a yeah. grin surrounded by carnage that it's just ugh yeah it, it, it was a good creepy moment. Yeah, I thought she did really good on it. Well, Jennifer decides she needs a little late night snack and goes over to the fridge to see what the Lisnickies have to offer. She grabs a Boston Market rotisserie chicken that Needy's mother specifically told her not to touch. But it, uh, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, uh, and Jennifer begins to devour it with gusto. Uh, I do love me some rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I get it. You get the, you know, come home late after a night out. You're hungry. You need a snack. Been there. It was uh, macaroni and cheese for me, always. But you know, everybody has their choice. <laughs> well, it turns out Jennifer's new undead diet is not sitting well with her, and she immediately pukes up what appears to be a substance scraped from the walls of Satan's colon. Uh, it's this thick black ooze that it looks like that I had to look it up. It's that ferro fluid stuff. Uh, that's that liquid with those little magnetic particles in it that make it like spike up yeah, yeah, when yeah. it's around a magnet. And that stuff alone, I don't know. It's just very creepy. It is creepy. We've seen an art exhibit that actually had mm-hmm. that stuff in it. That was it was pretty cool. In this instance, I thought it was just a tad bit too much. Yeah. Like it, it was unnecessary. It's, I think the spikes were unnecessary. Like yeah, the vomiting, I was yeah, like, okay, that's about. fine. But yeah, the spikes definitely, I didn't feel like it added anything. Like I, I still was fully. It made it seem more alien than yes, demonic. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like uh, that was a common thing throughout this movie. I felt like there was just quite a few moments where it tried to do too many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just ultimately kind of made it kind of muddled. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't one big monster that we were able to kind of like fear or, uh, you know, but I know we had Jennifer, but it just, we didn't really know what was really happening with her, you know, truly what was causing it and the, you know, history behind it and everything like that. So when you've got like spiky vomit and like superhuman strength and the ability to fly and then like also needs blood to survive, also vampire. So there's just a lot of things happening. You know what I mean? It It, it is a lot. Yeah. So maybe this one's kind of a little similar to last week. It just that too much gene. Mm-hmm. Well, she also lets out this hellish scream that... I mean, it would make me go, we definitely 
should be getting to a hospital. <laughs> I myself am not equipped to deal with this type of medical emergency. Yeah. This will require more than a Band-Aid and Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Please stop screaming in my face. You ate my mama's chicken and you threw up in my face. It's time for you to go. If you want us to be friends tomorrow, I need you to leave now because things are not going well right now. Well, Needy agrees and runs to get her cell to call 911, but Jennifer stops her and slams her against the wall. She then gets to a little second base action with Needy when she cops a feel of Needy's breastuses uh, and then whispers in her ear, Are you scared? And just when you think she's going to rip Needy's throat out with her teeth, Jennifer throws her down and just leaves the house. <laughs> she's like, All right, bye. Just <laughs> needed a bite. Call me. See you tomorrow. Bye, bestie. <laughs> This, this movie also suffered from the almost action gene. It's like it would get you all revved up. Oh, it's tension. Something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Nope. Psych. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, next we cut to a scene of the firemen going through the burnt wreckage of Melody Lane. And I have no idea why this scene is in here. I don't either. I, we both watched this together last night and then rewatched it today separately and because you had kind of brought it up last night during, like, what are we supposed to be seeing here? I made sure to pay attention during my second watch to try to see if I could spot anything. Nothing. I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, we were kind of like, I was like, okay, that's that's the bar. Yes, we understand that. Uh huh. That's what I was like. I was like, is but, this to remind us the bar burned down? Because we, we were clear on that. Yeah, there was a fire there. We saw fire. Because then immediately it's followed up by the scene of somebody talking about the fire. So then it just, that scene didn't need to be there because we were just going to talk about the scene we just didn't need to see. Yeah, it was confusing. <laughs> um, Especially, I think, because it's just like a, a such a small clip. You know what I mean? Like there's there's nobody that comes in the frame and like says anything. It's just kind of this weird pan out. Yeah, when I had headphones on when I rewatched it today, I could hear someone say, "We found another body." So I I don't know if that's was like to reaffirm to us that people died. Yeah, but I I don't. It was just so odd. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day at school, Needy is in a daze as the other kids spread rumors about what they heard went down at the bar. But surprisingly, Jennifer shows up to class and immediately snaps Needy out of it. Jennifer claims she's fine and that Needy is just overreacting to what happened last night. Needy explains that a bunch of people died last night and Jennifer should be more upset. But Jen just thinks it sucks to be them. She also seems to have upped the game on her shit on Needy speak. She's definitely not the same vampid bitch we saw at the beginning of the story. Now she's extra. Yeah, yeah, you can tell things have gotten a little spicier. She's a little spicier. <laughs> they turned it up to 11. <laughs> well, in the scene, we also get a flashback from Needy, which this whole story is a flashback. So we get a flashback inception. Uh, and it's of Needy and Jennifer as kids. The scene doesn't really add anything to the plot. I just wanted to point it out because the actress that plays a young Needy is Megan Charpenter, who would go on to grow quite the horror resume at such a young age. She was also in the movie Mama, 
and in It Chapters 1 and 2. Oh, fun. Well, next, still in the classroom. <laughs> oh, my God. I wrote in my notes, we are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did that. That's all we need right there. <laughs> because it's Oscar winner actor J.K. Simmons, who's playing their teacher, Mr. Robolsky. Who has a hook hand. <laughs> and the craziest hair I've ever seen. It is amazing. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't either. But the funny thing is why he's talking to him. He says, you know, this is such a tragedy. And, you know, I've been through some stuff in my life. <laughs> and you wonder because you can also see there's, spo- there's something on his neck. Like maybe he's got a burn on his neck and then he's got this hook hand. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what has <laughs> this guy been through? We need um his, his story. We need a prequel. We do because every moment he pops up is just incredible. <laughs> Well, he tells the kids that it is a dark time at Devil's Kettle High, and it's not time to be worried about who's a cool dude and who's a hoe. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's all we were worried about during that time. It really is. (laughs) I made lists. (laughs) Updated them weekly. No longer cool dude. (laughs) Sir, you have just moved down to hoe. (laughs) You have been, well, I don't know if you've been demoted, because you seem pretty happy, but I don't know. You were cooler. You've been cooler. Well, after class, Needy meets up with Chip in the hall and tells him about her encounter with Jennifer the night before. He thinks Jen might have inhaled a bunch of smoke, and maybe Needy should go see the school counselor. But Needy says she doesn't tell Whoppers, and she's not crazy. As they continue down the hall, Needy is approached by Colin Gray, the school's emo kid, who heard Needy was at the bar last night, and he's glad she didn't die. Well, it's obvious that Chip is a little bit jealous that she talks to this young man. Yeah, there's definitely that animosity that you can tell definitely pops up in that teenage romance but also just teenage boys there was just always that thing with boys in school that they just wanted to constantly one-up each other Uh and you could definitely see that that happen as soon as you know this Colin guy walks away and I I also just think it's hilarious how as like the you know emos or like city people in this movie Mm -hmm. like were all portrayed just with like eyeliner that's all it took to make you emo and so that makes that checks out. I was there during the emo times. And <laughs> well, when you get your emo kit, that is the first thing on top. It, is, it truly is. is your eyeliner. Yeah, on top of uh, a little card that says "Welcome." <laughs> times are only going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Black Parade. In fact, when you open the kit, it just plays that one note. Yeah. <laughs> Well, next we see Jonas, one of the school's linebackers, out on the field, mourning the death of his best friend, Craig. Jennifer comes out to console him, which means they go have sex in the woods. And as they're getting busy, all the forest creatures turn up to see the free show. What the fuck is that about? I mean, is she fucking Snow White? Again, it's this weird plot point that we don't ever get an answer to, because like these animals never show up again. Well, no, no, there's going to be another time a bunch of rats kind of show up. I mean, yeah, but that, it seemed... And then I was also wondering if that's why there was a horse in her backyard 
at the beginning. Uh, that's true. I don't know. This one just felt so like there was such a, a scene made with it that the rat thing, because I remember the rat thing too. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't, it was, it happened so fast and it just didn't seem as like pronounced as this whole like barrage of every one type of animal comes and stands upon a post and looks upon this scene. Like it was just, they all, you know, they turn around like, oh, all these animals are watching. And it just was this bizarre scene with animals that probably don't even live in that forest that just showed up for the show. They're like, hey, we we heard. We saw it on your MySpace page. We thought we'd come check it out. I just work down the street, actually. Not normally here. Had to pull a double. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she starts to give him a little handy and then asks if he misses Craig. Talk about taking you out of the moment. Yeah. I'd be like, what? What? Read the room. (laughs) Never mind. You ruined it. Well, she just said he's going to be reunited with his friend again soon and unzips her shirt. I'm pretty sure she didn't have a belly button. She didn't in the scene. And it's funny because at this point, I'm already lost in like the 37 different plot points that we've dropped. (laughs) I thought they were going to make her not have a belly button. And I thought that was something I was going to have to follow. (laughs) I'm not even shitting you. Because there used to be a show I used to watch. Well, not just myself. Other people watched it called Kyle XY. I have definitely heard of it. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was going to be like that type of thing. I was like, oh my God, I can't with this. I don't know what is wrong. I don't know what it is at this point. Because at this point, we haven't really delved into actually the moment that has caused this to happen, you know? Right, right. So yeah, at this point, I was like, oh God, she really doesn't. I I, I don't know why, but immediately I saw that she didn't have a belly button. In this. And it's just, I think her skirt's just over her belly button or something. I don't know. It's not there. I, I don't have an answer for it, but I really did. I was like, oh God, what's going to happen? Is she gonna... <laughs> this really is like an alien thing. I don't know. I was just confused for a second, but then it didn't come back up again. So I don't know, but I definitely made notice of that. Of that. Well, before we can get that mystery solved, uh, her face splits open and mm-hmm. uh, she eats the guy. And the belly button falls off the radar. <laughs> now you're like, whoa. Just like it did her stomach. It slipped her right <laughs> off. And I was like, oh, okay, we, there's more at hand here. Well, meanwhile, back at the school parking lot, Mr. Rabolski can hear Jonas's screams, but just he mistakes it as someone who is grieving yeah. and is wallowing in their sorrow. It's hilarious. And he's just like, oh, no, go on, let it out. Yeah, he's like, get it out, kid. <laughs> it was amazing. Well, next we see Needy making a fried something sandwich. I, I couldn't tell what it was. I, did, I didn't either. I At first I thought, during my first watch, I thought it was bologna. And then during my second watch, I thought it was bacon. But I don't really know either way. Well, each one was cut like Pac-Man. It had a, like a little wedge out of <laughs> yeah. it. And it was really thin. It was bizarre. <laughs> I don't know why I was so fixated on it. But I was like, what is it? What is it? <laughs> She's also listening to the radio where we can hear the band members from Low Shoulder are being touted as heroes, claiming they saved dozens of people from last night's fire. They're getting a lot of publicity and their song is now starting to get some radio play. Well, then we see Mr. Roblowski. You know what? I'm going to say his name differently every time. Okay. And now I think we should just pick a new name for him. I'm just going to call him Professor. That seems like a weird name, but I'm willing to go with it. Well, he's a teacher. No, I get it. I just, I thought we were going with like 
Jim. <laughs> Why Jim? Oh, I don't. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be Jim per se. You just said we'll call him something different each time, and then I was like, okay. And then you said we'll name him now, and I was like, well, shit. Now I'm under pressure, and so I gave it back to you, and then you just gave me Professor. Well, obviously, from here on out, he has to be Jim. Jim. So we see Jim. I guess he's come to check on our griever. I don't know why he decided to walk out to the woods. Yeah, I don't know what what finally drew him there because he was really confident in this kid. (laughs) Yeah, he was getting in his car like he was leaving. Yeah. Well, he discovers our linebacker's body eviscerated in the woods and it's being eaten by a deer. So here's the problem with that. The scene is awesome. The effect is amazing. Uh, By the way, the effects here are done by KNB Effects Group, which is Greg Nicotero's uh, Mm -hmm. group from The Walking Dead. Uh, So they're very well done. And this this thing is amazing. I mean, you know, an eviscerated carcass, that's zombie fodder 101. So it it looks great. Uh, But yeah, the deer eating it, deers are plant eaters. Well, maybe he was a vegetarian. Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, no, I get it. Okay. I get the joke. I, but <laughs> I just, I didn't understand the scene. I understand they're trying to make it more gruesome, maybe. Yeah. That, oh my God, we came across him. He's being devoured by wild animals. Get a coyote. Well, maybe they didn't have one that day. <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't really make the deer do it. Well, of course not. He has the right to choose the job if he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, like... saying like maybe (laughs) look finding work for a deer is hard sometimes you have to take the jobs you don't really want to take but if he's got to eat this guy to feed his family that's what he's gonna do and he did it well i don't know why we're picking on him (laughs) i don't either let's move on well, back at Needy's, we meet her mother, played by the amazing Amy Sedaris. I had no idea she was in this either. I didn't either. And it's only for like, I don't know, a couple, I don't even know if a couple minutes. It's just a small exchange between her and Needy. But yeah, I, I had no idea she was in there as well. So it was it was really surprising. And, and like I said, it was surprising that she was in there for sh- such a small period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, she tells Needy that she had a night terror that people were trying to nail Needy to a tree, just like JC. And then she kind of makes the sign of the cross. And I think that specifically was in there to let us know that this is a family that grew around the Catholic faith, Mm -hmm. meaning a demon has more significance to that faith. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But then she tells Needy that she protected her in the dream because she's a four-tough mama bear. Uh, But Needy claims she can take care of herself, but her mom says one day Needy's going to be crying out for her and she isn't going to be there. Well, back at the crime scene, we see the authorities have arrived and Jennifer has decided to clean off by taking a dip in the lake. I will have to say this is a pretty dang cool shot. Mm -hmm. Just that overhead shot of a very still lake. Uh, just smooth as glass and just, you know, this tiny dot of Jennifer just swimming along in the lake. It was mm-hmm. a nice shot. Yeah, it really was. 
Well, next, Jennifer and Needy talk on the phone. Jennifer is feeling like it's going to be a hot girl summer and sets her tongue on fire with a lighter, which immediately heals. Well, Needy tells Jennifer she's still depressed over the fire, and Jennifer tells her she needs to get over it because, quote, life is too short to be moping around about some white trash pig roast, end quote. Needy then gets a call from Chip, who asks her to come over. Also, Chip's little sister calls him penis cheese, and Jennifer informs Needy that Chip has been looking hot lately. Uh-oh. rut row Penis cheese is looking hot lately. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? Chip the penis cheese. <laughs> well, Needy heads over to meet Chip, and he tells her that Jonas, that's the linebacker Jennifer killed, was found dead, and it looks like someone ate parts of him. Yeah, that deer. It's an angry deer. <laughs> Y'all need to watch out for that. Fr- I'm telling you, it's a dangerous deer. <laughs> well, he says everyone is freaking out, and his mom is just standing and looking out the front window like a zombie mannequin robot statue. Yeah. Well, a month has passed since the fire and murder, and Low Shoulder continues to capitalize on the tragedy, and their song has become the anthem for the town's mourning. So back in Jim's class, Jennifer is looking rough. Uh, Her skin is breaking out and her hair is dull and lifeless. And in case that metaphor is lost on you, to put it plainly, once a month she turns into a crazy man-killing bitch. You know, kind of like a cycle. Never heard of it. Yeah. This was like, wow, could that be more hit you over the head? (laughs) Well, out in the hall, emo boy Colin asks Jennifer out, but when she mistakes the Rocky Horror Picture Show for a boxing movie, he tells her to forget about it. But Nene thinks he's cool, so Jennifer changes her mind and decides to invite Colin over to watch a movie. So we definitely see that Jennifer is working very hard to take things that Nene wants, or what do you think is the purpose here i don't know i was confused about this a little bit just because they're they're friends and so you would think that she would not go for him but okay if she was going to go for him because it seems like obviously we find out by the end of the movie that the end goal is chip so it seems like she would like push colin on needy and be like, no, I don't want to go for him. But like, it seems like you're really into him. Like, why don't you go out with him? And then like, she could go after Chip. So it seemed weird that she decided to go and and make that further advance towards Colin. I didn't really quite understand it. Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously she wants these people to eat them. You know, she doesn't want to get yeah. in a relationship with them. Yeah. She just wants to consume them. So she, knowing she's going to kill them... She knows specifically that is going to hurt Needy by doing so. Yeah. So it's it's just this, the entire time she's just finding ways to undercut Needy and hurt her uh, as much as she can, which is behavior you would expect from a demon. Yeah. Well, next, Chip meets up with Needy and asks if she's coming over tonight. He picks some more condoms up at Super Target, so they're all set. Uh, I love that he specifically calls it Super Target. Yeah. Like, who does that? 
Like if I go to Target, I don't specifically say whether it's a regular Target or a super Target. Yeah. It's just Target. I went to a uh, Walmart Super Center today. <laughs> I went to Rosh Dress for Less. <laughs> well, later that night, we get an awkward teenage sex scene uh, between Needy and Chip uh, and those Super Target condoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called Slippery Swirl. Yeah. Uh, and they're supposed to make the girl feel good. That's so nice. <laughs> oh, he also turned on an oil diffuser scented with jam and jasmine. Jam and jasmine. Fun fact, I used to have that very same diffuser thingy. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was an actual diffuser or if it was like, for some reason I thought it was like a thing you put like an insert in, but I could be wrong. But I know that I had that diffuser. I just can't remember what, like how it did it send situation <laughs> and and did you use it for you know your intimate moments uh in 2009 no i did not all right i also did not use jam and jasmine i was very curious about these holiday scents he was talking about though, <laughs> he I did, did not... he did offer a variety to her yeah but i didn't have holiday scents i didn't know those were a thing so i was like uh well somebody misinformed me <laughs> Do you feel cheated? Not only in 2009 was I not using it for my sexcapades, I also was not using it with holiday scents. So you know what? 2009 <laughs> me was the emo with the eyeliner. So. Sad year. <laughs> it was a rough one, okay? <laughs> well, interspersed with this scene, we also see Colin driving to meet Jennifer, and he is pumped up, rocking to Screeching Weasel's cover, of I Can See Clearly Now. I'm telling you, this soundtrack is thumping. It's so good. Oh, God, so good. He arrives at the address Jennifer texted him, but it looks super sketch. Uh, he, he ends up walking around back and sees that the back of the house is still under construction. Surely this house is abandoned, but he can hear some sexy-ass Akon coming from upstairs, so he follows the sound to find it all decked out in candles. This is indeed the place, and Jennifer has been waiting to seduce him. Oh, and then she eats him. She, yeah. She just, she just eats him. Just a little bite and some blood slurps. <laughs> oh, yeah, and this is that scene where we see it in a frenzied silhouette as their shadows are cast on the wall and yeah she does look just almost snake-like she's Mm -hmm. so thin yeah yeah and i think that's really meant to kind of portray that hunger you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah yeah. uh insatiable kind of hunger that that her character's dealing with but yeah I, i really enjoyed that scene i think for that reason just because it really I feel like that silhouette of having Megan and seeing like her hair flip and the like blood droplets and stuff really kind of helped, I think, give this nice supporting visualization of a succubus, you know, Mm -hmm. like that whole thing was just like, yeah, that's it. And I just thought it was a really nice uh, scene that helped kind of portray that image. Well, meanwhile, Chip and Needy are going at it when Needy begins to have visions of blood dripping from the ceiling and the dead linebacker Jennifer killed sitting in a chair across the room. Of course, she freaks out. I also like that when Needy is crying and screaming out over the visions, (laughs) 
Chip just thinks they're cries of passion. Yeah. And that he is a stud. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even asks her (laughs) if he's too big. I I just thought this was actually a really genuinely Mm -hmm. honest depiction of a teenage mishap, you know, kind of thing that would happen where if a girl gets upset, the guy just doesn't, he's kind of oblivious to that at first. Yeah. Uh, Because he's focused on what he's doing. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I just, I thought that was kind of clever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really agree. And I I think it was nice because the scene is so intense. We have this scene of this uh, intense sex scene between two teenagers that are, you know, that's just intense no matter what. You've got a lot of hormones and everything. And then on the other hand, you have this very violent murder happening and then, you know, kind of the triad of it all, you have this psychic slash physical intimate connection that's happening between Needy and Jennifer. And so I think the fact that we have Chip here to kind of lighten up that situation with these like funny facial expressions as they're like having sex and then the yeah, the whole like, am I too big? I think it I think it was really nice in that moment because it is a very high intensity moment. Yeah, so here we have an, another moment where, you know, we have this whole added thing going on with Needy, where she's having these psychic moments. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this overcrowding of things going on. It's like we've got this mystery thing going on with Jennifer that has 10,000 side effects to it. Mm-hmm. But then we have Needy and her stuff and this relationship and her little psychic ability. And it's just, again, it's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. I think with the psychic thing, if, if you know, as the viewer, if you can kind of... I, I was able to do this more my second time than I was the first time I watched it. But able to kind of suspend that disbelief and kind of instead of thinking of it as like this really strong mental psychic connection, I more so in my head created it which I think also was meant to be shown like this but it shown as like how intense like teenage friendships are how intense like that codependency is and so I think maybe if 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 like you know the viewers like you know I just can't get past that the whole psychic thing or whatever you can kind of at least in your head kind of remove that and and just kind of think of it as just their connected so strongly and so dependent on each other in this tumultuous time in their lives which is high school and trying to navigate the end of you know that world of high school and teenagehood and hormones and boys and girls and not knowing where you fall on the uh you know sexual orientation spectrum and stuff like that and so yeah there's a lot going into that so I think you can kind of just put all that on that psychic connection and just kind of say like it's just all of that creating this very very strong connection between the two yeah absolutely it's it's like this visual representation of that intensity Mm -hmm. uh and it's just again pushed to the nth degree Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh And I think that notion absolutely works on its own. But again, it's like you were talking about earlier. It's that muddling. It's Mm -hmm. that we want to try and throw as much in here as we can. Yeah. And it it gets to be very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, Needy is so upset that she leaves Chip's house and takes off in her car. But as she's driving, she sees what might be a deer crossing the road. 
But nope, it's just a bloody Jennifer running around trying to burn off some of those calories. She needs to save those. Kind of make some time between killings, you know? Well, Colin should be keto, though. You know, high protein, high fat. She good. True. She all right. Well, Needy slams on the brakes to miss her, but Jennifer jumps on the hood, scaring the shit out of Needy and sending her racing back home. Well, Needy runs into the house and starts yelling for her mom, but her mom's not home. So see, Ford Tough Mama Bear's prediction came true, and the day came when Needy called out for her, and she wasn't there. Thanks a lot, Ford Tough Mama Bear. (laughs) Well, Needy goes upstairs to bed, but guess who's already waiting for her? Needy tries to throw Jennifer out, but Jennifer tells Needy they always sleep in bed when they have sleepovers. Needy notices that Jennifer has borrowed her Evil Dead t-shirt without asking. But before Jennifer can fess up to snagging it, she starts to kiss Needy. And it is a long kiss. Uh, It goes on forever. Mm -hmm. This scene was actually originally supposed to be a sex scene. Uh, But it was changed to just a kiss. But it goes on for as long as like a Hollywood sex scene. (laughs) It's like they're kissing. We get it. Yeah. I I definitely think this was a ploy for that marketing Mm -hmm. type of thing. That that This was that jump. Well, I guess I should say this is that jumping point for marketing. They took this and and ran with it. So I think, yeah, by the time we, we got to the movie, it was less impactful because we had already seen it so much in all of the trailers. Uh that yeah we're sitting here and we're like okay we get it you girls are kissing whereas like had that kind of maybe been teased or maybe not even and shown in the trailers but maybe just rumored and i think that would have made it a little bit more impactful and maybe yeah the scene is long but it would have not seemed as long because right. you know we would have as viewers all been like oh we you know we want to see the scene we want to see the scene see if it really happens see you know if it's really spicy and everything and but when it's blasted all over the damn trailer <laughs> every single week every single day by the time you get to the movies it's like okay we've seen it let's go yeah you know uh, the shock is gone and it simply becomes two people kissing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so now it goes on too long <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the middle of said long kiss, Needy snaps out of it and pulls away, confronting Jennifer about seeing her running across the street covered in blood. Jennifer finally decides to come clean about what happened after she left with low shoulder. It turns out the guys were just a bunch of douchebags that wanted to sacrifice her to Satan in exchange for fame and fortune. Uh, So they take her out to the Devil's Kettle Waterfall and murder her. (laughs) All while singing 8675309. Yeah. The scene is like really creepy. It's really weird. Well, I guess I should say like more, it's really unsettling because I think that singing the fact that they're like brutally murdering this girl and they're just like blase about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like a flash mob during it. It's just bizarre. Yeah. It's like you're just watching a group of psychopaths mm-hmm. that have absolutely no emotions attached yeah. to what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. It re- Oh, it reminds me of A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Minus the rape. Yeah. Well, after Jennifer is dead, Nick turns around and throws the knife into the waterfall's mysterious drain hole. The only problem with this ritual is she's not really a virgin. 
So when you sacrifice a virgin that's not a virgin, you get a lovely empty demon vessel. And when a demon takes up residence, you have to feed it until it's satiated. Everybody tells you that as a kid. You know, they always say, if you get a dog, you got to feed it. If you get an empty demon vessel, you got to feed it. And it's like, you don't realize the responsibility until you actually get one. And then sometimes it's a little overwhelming. So much extra work. Yeah. Do not try and trim its nails. Don't do it. It's not worth it. They bite. We also learned that before Jennifer made it to Needy's house that first night, she came across Ahmet, the foreign exchange student. Remember the sea cucumber thing? Yep, that's him. Everyone thought he burned up in the fire, but it turns out he had survived and actually was Jennifer's first victim. And Jennifer shows proof of her newfound demon powers by slicing her arm open and letting Needy see it heal instantly. Can you imagine? No. Your friend being like, look what I can do. Stab, slice. (laughs) No. All of that, I just, I think I would have just passed out. Yeah. My brain would not have been able to comprehend that. (laughs) You're like, all of me says this is not okay. I have to shut down. Exactly. And then you just like with those collapsible toys where all your limbs (laughs) really limp. Well, Nadie wants to know why she was covered in blood and what she means by feed. And Jennifer tells her that she really should talk to one about all these disturbing thoughts she's having. Everyone is really worried about her. So everyone keeps telling Needy that she needs to talk to someone or needs professional help. And I started to wonder if, if this was another thing that they were trying to add in that is trying to make the audience question Needy's sanity. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, there was even a scene once where uh, Needy is sitting in the hallway and she sees Jennifer walking through the hall mm-hmm. and she sees her with blood all over her mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously that's not real. That's not happening uh, because no one else is reacting to that. Yeah. So that's a, a, a hallucination she's having. So I started thinking, is this, you know, and we obviously know she ends up in a psych ward. Yeah. So I I just, I I think I was just so overwhelmed by the too much stuff that. By this point, you didn't trust anything. Yeah, everything could be anything. Mine was the belly button. I get it. (laughs) It only takes the one. And then you're like, nope. (laughs) You have crossed a line at this point. Well, Needy tells Jennifer she needs to leave, but Jennifer wants to stay and says they can play boyfriend and girlfriend like they did when they were little. But Needy isn't having it, and Jennifer leaves. She she just leaves, jumps out a window. Goodbye. She bounces. (laughs) Again, build up, nothing happens. Well, the next day, Needy goes to Colin's funeral and then goes to the library to do what she calls paranormal research. But she's focusing specifically on demons, so therefore it's demonology. She learns that demons are weakest when they're hungry and can be killed with a blade to the heart. So now we're all set up for our final showdown. That's all we need to know. (laughs) It's amazing how people can just walk into a library and find that in a matter of five minutes. (laughs) That's how libraries work. I've been to one, I know. (laughs) I've done my paranormal research at one, all right, don't mess with me. They have all the books. You could read that in, what, like a day? Oh, yeah. I did a couple couple hours, so. Well, next, Needy and Chip meet in the hall to discuss the big spring dance, and Needy tries to explain to Chip that Jennifer is a demon that eats boys to make her all pretty and glowy. 
But he somehow interprets this as she's breaking up with him, and he just can't help himself but to insist again that Needy get professional help. So Needy tells Chip she'll be at the dance, but she doesn't want him to go for his safety, even if they were going to eat at the Cheesecake Factory and he got her a $12 croissage. Sounds like a night out on the town, if I've ever heard of one. Hell yeah. Demon at a dance? (laughs) Count me the fuck in. (laughs) Demon at a dance. And here I was excited about the cheeseburger egg rolls. Oh yeah, I mean those are good too. But you got to really think. You got to think bigger. You got to think what's coming after the egg rolls. <laughs> That's all life is. What's after the egg rolls? I mean, I don't think you understand how much cheeseburger egg rolls mean to me. Oh no, I get it. <laughs> They're yummy and delicious. But I'm just, I'm just saying. There's always got to be more egg rolls, but there's also got to be things in between. You know, these are just life lessons you learn along the way, youngin. I'll teach you. I'll teach you. You got a friend in me. Well, we see everyone get ready for the dance and having awkward pictures taken. Even Chip has decided to go, even if it isn't with Needy. And his mom gives him some pepper spray because there's some sicko out there who likes boys. But don't worry, it's ladies pepper spray. <laughs> it is. It's in a dainty little pink can i think that's so funny because he he does bring that to attention he's like ladies pepper spray what just because the can says like pink panic or something but like it's fucking pepper spray my guy it's not gonna throw out like boobs in pepper spray like it's still fucking pepper spray and i guarantee you if you have a spray that throws out boobs and pepper spray that's gonna be use it on himself well yeah but i was also gonna be it's gonna be more effective everybody's gonna stop for that girl or boy doesn't matter doesn't matter what you everybody we all get it you have something that sprays pepper spray and boobs that's different and we need to check it out and make sure this isn't some black market shit well i would also like to point out that this scene is backed by some panic at the disco and i know this because danny knows every single word (laughs) This is one of her favorite bands, and as soon as it came on, she was into it. It was amazing. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> it was so good. This whole soundtrack is really so fucking good. But yeah, there was a couple of songs like by like Fall Out Boy and Panic Disco, like you said, and, and Dashboard Confessional. I uh-huh. caught that one too. Yeah, there was just so many good songs that, yeah, I, I, by the end, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to sing along. I got this whole thing. <laughs> It was so good. But yeah, that song specifically, immediately, I was like, this is my middle school anthem. (laughs) Well, next, Needy has arrived at the dance, but hasn't seen Jennifer yet. She's at home getting ready and is looking rough. It is obviously time to feed again, but it's actually kind of this very poignant scene. And I think it seems to just kind of represent... You know, here's this beautiful girl, Mm -hmm. uh, but she's looking terrible, obviously, because she has to feed. And so she's literally slathering makeup all over her face and she's weeping Mm -hmm. as she does it. Mm -hmm. And and it just seems like I think every kind of teenage girl went through that of of just this moment of just breaking down Mm -hmm. as you're getting ready for some event and yeah and you can even go you know deeper nuance you know especially if we're going to go like the queer horror route and talk about 
putting on that facade every day Mm -hmm. and you know how tough that can be whenever you just really want to be able to be yourself or you know feed in this situation where you you want to be able to survive you want to be able to thrive but when you have to put on that that makeup or that facade every day it gets tiring and so yeah I, I I loved that scene uh I made mention of it in my notes as well just how I really enjoyed the uh the whole imagery of her crying and the makeup and even like panning up to her desk she has like a photo of herself so I, I think that's funny like this ego slash also it's very obvious like she's insecure as she's looking herself in the mirror Mm -hmm. uh so yeah i just i thought it was really well done as well right right and and that insecurity is is going to come back up again Mm -hmm. well chip is walking through some dark foggy woods to get to the dance and guess who shows up to escort him safely but our miss jennifer and her body thank goodness she brought it also was chip wearing a gryffindor scarf i didn't uh know why he was wearing a scarf i'll be honest i was a little confused because i noticed it as, as well because at first i thought it was his hair <laughs> when it, first, it was so long he wrapped it around his neck well i thought it was like a wig thing he put on for like the dance i was like well this is weird but then i realized it was a scarf and i was still confused i didn't, I didn't quite understand it Well, Jennifer wants to talk to him about Needy. She tells Chip that Colin, he was emo boy, and Needy had an affair. Well, of course, Chip was always a little jealous of their friendship and easily falls for the lie. Of course, Jennifer wants to console him, so she starts kissing him. Well, back at the dance, Jim wants to make sure you try some of those pecan sandies and cran grape. (laughs) You know, that was so generously donated by the parents there. Thank goodness. Did you get a pecan, Sandy? No, I'm allergic to nuts. Oh, stay away from, oh my God. Uh, He also informs us that Low Shoulder has shown up to play the dance. And as the crowd goes wild, Needy puts her hands up to her lips because she can sense that Jennifer is making out with Chip. So she takes off running. Well, Jennifer and Chip make their way to an old abandoned pool house and Jennifer tries to seduce Chip once again. But when he says he can't because it feels too weird, she throws him into the disgusting disease infested water. It was one of the scariest things in this movie. Yeah, which which was bizarre because the pool looked disgusting, but the scenery of this pool house was beautiful. It was a very nice setting. Yeah, it really was. But yeah, the I was thinking that the whole time as they were like flopping around in the water because they get all like all three of them, Chip and Needy and Jennifer in the water. And I was thinking about that, like getting in their mouth and stuff. I was like, oh, no, that would be enough for me to be like, y'all can fight it out down there. I'll be up here. Let me know when y'all are done because I can't. Yeah, it's it's so gross. Well, Needy is running through the woods outside of school and finds the corsage Chip got her on the ground and then hears him screaming off in the distance. So she runs to the pool house and we get a confrontational action scene with the least amount of action I've ever seen. Yeah. Like once again, somehow stuff happens without much really happening. Mm-hmm. So Needy sees Jennifer munching on Chip's neck, but he's still alive and calls out to her. Needy jumps in the water to save him and pulls Jennifer underwater. Needy surfaces and backs up to Chip, but Jennifer doesn't surface. 
Then we can see something is moving under the water with tremendous force, and Chip throws Needy the pepper spray that his mom had given him. And just when you think Jennifer is going to viciously attack them, she pops out of the water and Needy simply pepper sprays her eyeballs. But Monster this... defeated. <laughs> Ta-da! Well, this just pisses Jennifer off, causing her to vomit more of the black bile again. And then she just rises up into the air on a stream of water and levitates. Yeah, as a witch, vampire, werewolf, zombie, mannequin statue would do. (laughs) It's all in there. You know, it's a little something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Pick your poison. This movie has it all, except for poison. I don't know. They really should have put poison in here somewhere. (laughs) I'm sure someone ate something bad. There was a lot of black bile, so. (laughs) Well, all this levitation time is giving Needy time to get out of the water. The girls have their little verbal confrontation. It's very sassy. Needy finally tells Jennifer she was never a good friend, and Jennifer tells Needy she's going to eat her soul and shit it out. Needy says she thought she only murdered boys, but Jennifer tells her she goes both ways. And just when we're about to have our big showdown fight, Chip stabs Jennifer through the stomach with a broken pool net handle. Again, it's another, oh, something was about to happen. Nope, she just got stabbed. It's over. Yeah, yeah, we're done. Well, Jennifer pulls the handle out and asks Needy if she has a tampon because she seemed like she might be plugging. Lovely. Love it. You love it? Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, this this ending part is definitely very catty. And you definitely get those. And I, I, I think maybe it's meant to really kind of highlight the kind of immaturity, too, that comes along with these, these high school friendships, especially with, with girls. They can be very mature. It's proven time and time again how fast females mature throughout life and uh, you know especially through school most times they're they're more mature than you know their classmates and stuff like that but at the core of it you're still very immature and at the end of the day they're still hitting back with like comments of like about periods and like being you know uh juvenile and and stuff like that and and in, like the insecurities get brought back up again during mm-hmm. this argument and stuff uh-huh. like that. And yeah, it's just this very catty, juvenile, immature scene between these two girls who are just making very dirty jabs at each other, who are, you know, meant to be at the end of the day friends. But when those hormones get involved, that's not, it's not the case. <laughs> Things get rough fast. Yeah, I, I think this is a, another part of how this movie amplifies the young female relationship Mm -hmm. uh, and how sometimes when those end they end nasty and they end badly yeah i mean i think every single girl can think back to a time where they had a very dear friend and then some somehow there was a betrayal there yeah and it it just got ugly and something so great ends tragically. And so this is, again, that personified mm-hmm. about this relationship has now soured. And this just shows. And so now look how bad it is. They're literally trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Well, after all that, Jennifer just leaves. Just leaves. Again, no other confrontation here. She's like, well, I'm done here. You know what? All of what you just said was rude. And <laughs> I've got other places to be if we're not going to be friends anymore. 
I, I can take you stabbing me. I will not stand for you hurting my feelings. <laughs> Good day, sir. You know what? I look tough, but I'm sensitive, okay? And you hurt my feelings, so <laughs> I'm going to go home. Yes, nanny nanny boo boo. <laughs> yes, I still think you're a butthead. Also, <laughs> Chip really is penis cheese. Bye. <laughs> I left your BFF necklace on the table. <laughs> Uh, no, she doesn't. She actually still has that on because that's going to come back. Yes. Uh, oh, and by the way, Chip dies. Yeah, which is like, I mean, I get it because this isn't meant to be a movie about boys. Yeah. And also just like that relationship. It's very much a movie about Needy and Jennifer's friendship mm-hmm. and this like intimate tension between them and stuff like that. So I understand it, but also I just, I expected, I don't know, it, it, it to be like, a, he, Chip's fine. I don't know why, because he wasn't like, like my, my particular favorite. So it wasn't like I was like, oh man, I, I hope Chip really saves it all. But yeah. it just like, it just, it surprised me. I wasn't expecting it, yeah. I guess I should say, especially uh, it being my first time watching it. it I hadn't, at least to me, nobody's really ever said like a whole lot about this movie. So it's not like I had rumors or anything swirling about this movie. I just had no expectations and I just didn't expect it to happen. But R.I.P. Chip. Rip Chip. (laughs) (laughs) Rip Chip. I like it. I like it. Rip Chip. Trend hashtag Rip Chip. Rip Chip. Well, it's sad, uh, and Needy now has the need for revenge, which brings us right back to the opening scene of this movie with Jennifer back at home in bed watching the Tony Little infomercial. And now we pick up right where our movie started, but this time, when Jennifer turns back over in bed from looking out the window, Needy comes crashing into the room with a really nice jump scare. Uh, That one got me. Yeah, it was a good one. And now we finally get a little action. Finally, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> well, the girls get into a tussle on the bed and Jennifer bites Needy on the neck. Needy whips out a box cutter and Jennifer calls her butch for getting her murder weapon at Home Depot. I actually thought that was super clever. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that one. Uh, Jennifer levitates the two in the air as the struggle over the box cutter continues. And Needy grabs Jennifer's BFF necklace. Here it is. And rips it off, which somehow causes Jennifer to lose her power and drop to the bed uh, with Needy crashing down on top of her, stabbing her in the tit. At least that's what Jennifer thinks, but Needy assures her it's her heart. Yeah, yeah. So, was there some sort of magical power in the necklace? See, I don't know, because I was thinking that as well. I was like, okay, was was this meant to kind of shadow that this had some sort of spell on it or something like that? But I thought maybe it was more so like, it was her realizing that Needy really was done. Yes, that's what I thought, that this was the symbol of their friendship has ended. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, as BFFs, you never take off the necklace, yeah. you know, and so... Well, and thus far, Jennifer's had the power in that relationship. A hundred percent. And now it's time for Needy to literally take that away from mm-hmm, her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's symbolized in this taking the necklace off. But yeah. Uh, yeah, immediately Jennifer drops to the bed. 
Needy plunges down on top of her, plunges the knife into her, uh, and Jennifer dies. But as soon as the killing is done, having heard all the commotion, Jennifer's mom comes in. And now it just looks like Needy was the crazed killer all along. So we see Needy back in the institution, still in the hole, monologuing right where we left her before our flashback. And we learn that if you get bitten by a demon, you will inherit some of its traits. And we then see her levitate herself up to a window at the very top of the cell, bust it out, and walk the hell off into the night. Yeah, this this scene I was interested in because I was I felt like she like didn't have to wait to tell us our, the story for her to leave. Exactly. It seems like if you knew you had these powers, you could have left at any time. Yeah, because it seemed like she'd been there for a while. I mean, yes. obviously she had a file. People called her a kicker. And I mean, she had a, a whole thing. People knew about her and stuff like that. So clearly she had been there for a minute to make an impression. So, yeah, I, w- I was I mean, I liked that. I, I, I enjoy that when it comes to that kind of if we're going to do like horror fantasy crossover i enjoy that kind of power exchange that happens during uh you know possession and exorcisms and those Mm -hmm. type of things i think it's very interesting but i didn't quite understand why it was done in this way you know what i mean for it to be shown at the very end of the movie after having shown us that she's established at this place and she could have broken out the whole time it just didn't make any sense right i 100 percent agree Well, in our epilogue, we see her walking along a road and off to the side in a small natural spring is the knife Nick used to sacrifice Jennifer. So now we know where the waterfall empties out. Well, of course, Needy picks the knife up and takes it. And then Needy is offered a ride by none other than Lance Hendrickson. This is a cameo for him. He is uncredited in the film. Uh, Of course, you may know Lance from such films as Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Terminator, Pumpkinhead, and of course, as everybody's favorite AI Bishop from Aliens. Well, Lance asked her where she's headed, and Needy said she's following a rock band. He says that must be one hell of a group, to which Needy answers, tonight's their last show. As we watch the car pull away next to a road sign that reads low shoulder. And as the credits roll, we see found footage of the band low shoulder living large in a hotel. Now that they're all rich and famous, we then see crime scene photos of all their horribly murdered bodies and needy walking away from their hotel room. Uh, again, there's that too much thing. I didn't think that end credit thing was necessary. I thought it was a nice, good, clever little way to end. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. all got the nudge, nudge, wink, wink that she's going to go off to kill the band members who killed her best friend. Uh, And so I I didn't think the little end thing was necessary. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was was fine. I didn't dislike it, but I I definitely didn't think that it added anything to it or made it it worth like sticking around the credits you know for it had those been longer it happens pretty quickly right after the movie wraps up yeah so it's not like you're waiting after all the credits or anything but yeah I agree I I definitely didn't feel like it needed to solve any 
questions because I felt like we we definitely got it from the whole scene before. Well, all right, that's it. That's our movie. It was a very interesting movie. It it was interesting. You know, I didn't hate it. I I was entertained. I I enjoyed parts of it. Some of it I actually laughed. Mm-hmm. I I really like the idea of a horror story being a metaphor for a teenage female relationship and the intensity of that. Mm-hmm. But I I think there are times that it missed the mark here and and tried to do a lot all at once and uh it confused my brain and uh it was just a lot to try and take in yeah i i felt the same i think like i said off the top that it did it justice for me to see it now versus when it first came out i think if i had watched it when it first came out i would have definitely written it off uh and not that there's anything against the movie i think just i wouldn't have appreciated it especially uh in that time of my life in that year and everything I just know where I was mentally just wouldn't have appreciated this movie for what it is and I think it benefited from knowing now like more about the movie versus going in fresh off the marketing like I said I feel like that really did a huge disjustice because like even now I went into it thinking it was a completely different movie than what it was Uh this movie was not spoiled for me really in any way I mean besides what I had known from the trailers uh but that's all I had known so even still I was excited to see the movie but I was just kind of going in thinking this is just going to be some sort of uh gratuitous you know kind of horror film with lots of sex and and girls kissing and stuff like that but there was more to that there was more story but I absolutely agree with you as far as like there was also a lot of plot points that just kind of fell short or didn't it solved and the things that were there weren't polished enough to make up for the fact that those other things were missed you know what I mean yeah absolutely I think there are some definite problems with the story here but there are a lot of things that work about Mm -hmm. this movie Mm -hmm. Uh, although some of the dialogue like you talked about earlier trying to come up with these clever sayings that aren't really a thing like wetty yeah, what is that? There's something else she called needy one one time. I was like, what does that even mean? It's just, there was a lot of that, but for the most part, it was very quick-witted and clever dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the biggest thing that it had going for it were the performances here. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think there was a bad one among the bunch. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And again, I think that was a big surprise for me just because I didn't have any expectations going into this that I really only knew about the two main actors, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. And that's I had only knew Amanda from Mean Girls and Megan Fox from like just from the media and stuff like that. So I didn't really know how either would be in this type of scenario or this type of genre or anything, but them plus everybody I just genuinely felt like they did a good job with what they were given and I I do I do think this movie also while can be appreciated now you know for certain things and nuances it's also very much a movie of its time there's a lot of things that did not age well Mm -hmm. and so I think that could turn people off if they were to focus on that too much but I definitely think if you go into it with an open mind and just kind of look past that 
you can enjoy it for what it is, which I think is what I did. Because I I don't think I, I left it disappointed in any real capacity. I think I just left kind of overwhelmed with what everything it was trying to do. I, I think that is a spot on way to describe this is it's just an overwhelming movie. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's exactly the feel. I mean, from the very beginning, I immediately felt like we jumped right into, well, you jump right into the ending, basically, yeah. from the get-go. And so that's a lot to do with any movie. I mean, it can be done. It's been done successfully before. And not that this was done unsuccessfully. It just, it was a lot to take in right at the front. And then when it's followed up by a lot of other different details than plot points and stuff, it was just a lot and got muddled. But I agree with you. There was a lot of parts that I laughed at, a lot of parts that... I enjoyed as uh, just a horror movie fan and stuff like that. And so I I do think there was lots of parts in the movie that I did enjoy. All right. Well, we've got some prompts we got to get to. Are you ready to cover them? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So what was your popcorn spiller? So this one is thanks to you. And that is the shadow on the wall. While, um, while Needy's in the kitchen on the phone with the chip, it was just really good and creepy i love things like that that move around in the background like i said that you don't always catch and so i totally wouldn't have caught it because i was writing whenever it first happened and so i'm glad that you showed it to me and i i specifically paid attention during my second rewatch to watch the whole scene and everything and i just i love it it's it's spooky and it's creepy and it's it it helps set, set the tone for that scene and the upcoming scene so i really enjoyed it yeah, it was absolutely effective. That That's actually what I had for my popcorn spiller. But I was kind of torn between that one and right at the very beginning of the movie when Needy is at Jennifer's window. Yeah. It, it happens so suddenly and unexpectedly that it, it was the definition of a popcorn mm-hmm. spiller. If I mm-hmm. had it, I probably would have spilled a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just, I'll go ahead and go with that one. Well, both are good choices because I, I agree. That one is very spooky. So who was your scene stealer for this movie? It was Jim. It's Jim. Jim. It's always going to be Jim. Jim. The old Jimster. I love Jim. Just every single time. I, I didn't want his scenes to be over. Yeah, I agree. I think there wasn't enough of him in this movie, especially because there was so many weird things that was going on with him that I just wanted more answers on. Like his backstory and his hook hand. I just needed some more answers. So I would have liked that. <laughs> Maybe we can have a prequel just about Jim. <laughs> Jim's body. <laughs> so what was your scene stealer? So for me, I actually wrote down the soundtrack. <laughs> just because I, while everybody did a really good job throughout the movie... I really was pleasantly surprised by the whole soundtrack and it it caught me from the beginning and I think it was just because it was so many good songs from like a specific period of my life you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so a lot of it I felt like I resonated with with the music and so I kept catching myself kind of like listening in to see what the next song would be on the next scene Uh uh especially my first walk my first watch through the second time I was I was able to kind of focus on the movie a little bit more but the first one I just kept waiting for songs to pop up and see who was gonna um start singing next and everything so that's who I put I know that's not actually a person (laughs) but I put the soundtrack as my scene stealer you know all the scenes I'll take it I think that's an awesome answer (laughs) 
All right. So what was your gorgasm? So mine, I was torn between a couple, but I ended up landing on uh, the first scene with the football player that's killed by Jennifer, Uh the one with the animals and stuff like that. Now, while, yes, I think the deer scene, like, doesn't make sense because they are plant eaters, I really thought it was effective, and and by this point, I had known um, it was Greg Nicotero's work, and so... I was already excited to see that in action. Uh-huh. And yeah, I just loved it. I loved the entrails kind of hanging out and the animal kind of looking so innocent in this, you know, kind of ethereal looking forest uh, in this juxtaposition against this like bloody, gory body on the ground. I was just like, this right. is really sick. I really like it. What about for you? Well, oddly enough, mine is really subtle, but there was something about it that just kind of like turned my stomach. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene where Jennifer first shows back up to Needy's house and they're in the kitchen and she has eviscerated this chicken. Mm-hmm. And she does this scream thing and starts to gag. Yeah. And just there's all these just gross it's just mouth noises yeah Yeah. lots going on and uh, it just it was very effective Mm -hmm. and you know even the even the throw-up scene which actually uh turns out just to be chocolate syrup uh yeah it really was not pleasant for me yeah yeah i can get it that's that whole scene is very very creepy so next up is memorable mortality so who was that for you I had to go with the linebacker, uh, just that first kind of initial shock of of this reveal of whatever the hell is going on, and just the, the face splitting open, and uh, uh, there was a lot going on, and I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, it landed on the list. What about you? What was your memorable mortality? Uh, mine ended up being probably cliche, but it ended up being Jennifer during this final scene, this final showdown. I I think this whole scene is over the top and um, definitely toes the line of ridiculous. I think, again, it, that it suffers from that too much gene. But at the same time, this one really resonated with me as far as like understanding those fiery undertones when it comes to those like teenage friendships. And this one, I think, is a complex one because you're dealing with these feelings of of uh attraction towards you know the others and they don't know how to deal with that and uh traverse through that and so I think that it only adds intensity to that and so I I just I really enjoyed the thematics of this scene seeing them kind of float in the air and and go through this whole thing and the ripping of the necklace and everything while I know all of it's so dramatic I just I really did enjoy watching it and knowing what this was meant to portray you know what I mean and being there and having been there before in high school middle school and having those intense friendships and those intense feelings and just feeling like I am one step away from everything being the end of the world you know what I mean you just can't you feel like you can't take a breath because everything's overwhelming and so you get to see this all kind of explode on scene with this fight between them and then Jennifer ends up passing away and so it just was really really intense but i i enjoyed it overall 
Yeah, that was the absolute best part was the metaphor Mm -hmm. of of this friendship. You you know, this this metaphor of Jennifer dying. That friendship is dying. And in a young woman's life, in her teenage years, that would almost literally mean she's dead to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I thought that part was brilliantly done. I, I, I thought it was very well executed. Uh, and, and once you kind of make yourself accept that all of these things, this missing belly button, this ability to levitate, this splitting your face open, this changing your eyes, you know, all of this stuff, as long as you just convince yourself that you can accept that that's just traits that a demon can do and just at the core of it, just accept that this is a demon possession movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, then that brings us to the ultimate question. Dead zone or vault? What do you think? I was a little bit, I was a little bit torn on this one, only because I I enjoyed it and uh, I appreciated a lot of it. It's one of those things where I always come back to, like, would I either purchase it or would I sit down and like show a lot of friends you know or like bring it to a party I don't do any of these things not have friends or go to parties (laughs) but in my head I'm like have these scenarios and that's what I use as a rating scale uh and I just don't know that like I feel like I would have to sit there and kind of explain a lot you know throughout the movie but I don't know maybe that's just me overthinking it because I did enjoy it I did have a good time watching it and I watched it twice and the soundtrack is just chef's kiss so I don't know I'm torn I I can I carry it in my pocket between the two and you know dead zone and vault (laughs) uh I don't know maybe I swoop in and put it in the vault how about that take the pressure off of you okay that's fine I think it's good enough that you know if I'm flipping around channels who does that anymore? Uh, but if I were to do All that... these fake scenarios, flipping through channels, <laughs> having friends. Who does that? <laughs> All these secret lives will never lead. Uh, <laughs> but if I came across it and it was on, I, I could see just sitting down and go, Hey, you know, I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit down and watch it again. So sure, for, for a drive-in, hell yeah. yeah. You can have fun with this one. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Putting it in the aspect of like just sitting down and having fun with it, I could definitely get behind that. I think this movie is not meant to be taking taken super seriously at its surface. Of course, it can be. You can get very deep into the subtext here if you wanted to. Um, although I don't think it's like a complex subtext. I think it's very on the surface. I keep saying deep. It's not that deep. It's very much there. But you can also, I think, separate yourself as a viewer from that if that's not what you want to watch it for. You can have fun with it as just a demonic possession movie. So there you go. In the vault. There you go. Jennifer's Body. I watched it for the first time and I am proud. <laughs> and, and I am fine with it. And I am okay with my decision. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 18 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, 
we're gonna send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. And lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching the 2013 hit, The Conjuring. So head down to the show notes for a link to check out that trailer. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for playing tiny concerts for our animals when we go out of town. They love it. They even live stream it, and I really enjoy the fact that we get to watch them too. You haven't lived till you see a Frenchie play a ukulele. (laughs) It's truly a sight to see. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. She overhears Nikolai Speculi... (laughs) (laughs) Nikolai Speculi... <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing. <laughs> Nikolai Speckle. Y'all met my friend, Nikolai Speckle. Nikolai Speckle. You only got one eye. That Nikolai Speckle. <laughs> it gets me every time. God damn it. <laughs> And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.